0: Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. Uh, today, it is—you know—we are finally uh, at the end of the college baseball season, the, the supposed college baseball season, I suppose. I, I should say it. we are now into what was supposed to be the offseason, regardless of whether or not they were they were playing college baseball as scheduled this spring. So we can finally stop checking in on. You know what uh, what was supposed to be happening, the the memories of the, the 2020 season are, are already pretty old in our minds and they, they would be uh, they, they already would be we would be putting them back in the rearview mirror regardless. but Joe and I, as always are, are here to continue talking about college baseball throughout the offseason as long as as uh, this one is going to last you know un- unprecedented spring leading to an unprecedented summer leading to uh, a, a very long offseason, But Joe and I are here to continue talking about college baseball. And this week we're going to be talking about our new never too early top 25. We updated it after, you know, the dust has settled following the draft and following the non-drafted free agent signings. Now players can still sign as undrafted free agents and, you know, the draft picks haven't all signed, but, you know, there was a strong wave of undrafted players who signed within the first week to ten days of that period being open, uh, and now um, you know we're we're expecting every draft pick to sign eventually in a five round draft. It's pretty imperative that major league teams got the signability right and will be able to sign all of these players. You know, if there are you know reasons for us to to revisit um, later once the signing period uh, deadline passes at the start of August. Uh, we may do so, but right now we uh, we're making some assumptions in this top 25, and and you can see what the, those assumptions led to. Over on the website, we we have number one team Florida again, and that's very relevant for this edition of of the podcast because we will also be joined by Florida coach Kevin O'Sullivan to to talk about the Gators in 2021 and everything else that's happening around. Uh, the program right now. So we have, all of that is to say, uh, college baseball is, is uh, you know, into the off season, it would normally have been into the off season anyway, but Joe and I still have have plenty to talk about. So that's what we're gonna, that's what we're gonna do here today, Joe.
1: First, I'd like to talk to you about fireworks. <laughs> um, part of the summer is, of course, fireworks, and this has come into the news because people in New York City are reporting that people are just setting off fireworks out of out of boredom, and I've heard of this happening in other cities, although I'm fortunate in that uh, that is not my city, because uh, that would be obnoxious. But uh, Macy's, have you seen this that Macy's announced they're going to do with their 4th of July Did. fireworks? Yeah. And that, that immediately that like good...
0: made me think of the 30 Rock uh, episode <laughs> where uh you know jack donaghy like sets off a bunch of fireworks and then people think it's like uh some sort of an explosion it goes very poorly because this macy show is supposed to be like unannounced yeah i don't know unannounced fireworks in a city like uh, that that has the potential to go very wrong
1: yeah it's like five i think it's four or five different shows that are going to go off at random times and random not, not random but like unannounced locations unannounced times and you know, uh, Roger Sherman from The Ringer tweeted about like an underrated part of fireworks is being able to see them. You know, <laughs> which I think is <laughs> I think is, uh, is is right. That just does not like I get. So I read the press release, and the whole idea is they don't want people to gather around them. Okay, I get it. Like that's the time we live in, and Macy's probably already bought these fireworks or at very least budgeted for these fireworks. So it's kind of like, well, you know, they feel some pressure to actually do them. So they're they're trying to find the best way to do it. I just don't know that this was it. <laughs> I'm not really sure what other options were on the table, but, uh, just fireworks and, and like, and I, you know, part of the two is I think probably, especially in these times, things that are kind of, um, of the moment are few and far between. I mean, that's part of the reason why we are starved for live sports is not just that we love sports, although we do. It's also just that we as a society love live content because it's the, anything can happen. We don't know what's going to happen. We've not seen this before element that even scripted TV can't give you. And fireworks, I guess, are part of that in a certain way. So I think they're trying to capitalize a little on that. Like you just don't know where they're going to, it just seems, that seems like a really weird idea. Like, (laughs) so that's, uh, so that that's also what summer means is fireworks. And apparently if you live in New York city, it means random fireworks five different times over the course of, I don't know, hours, days, something that just uh, that 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 idea struck my ear is kind of strange
0: yeah I I would agree with that I'll also admit that um, until this morning I didn't realize the fourth of July was this weekend
1: that has also snuck up on me yes Um, I would imagine being in an office even an office like ours where we're not as kind of tied to these holidays as as some more traditional offices are like but being in the office I think would have made it a little more apparent what was happening um, I, I was a little bit reminded of it when I went to summer ball. I guess this is a good segue into actual baseball stuff. I went to an actual summer ball game last weekend, and that was exciting. Went to Coastal Plains League. Went out to uh, High Point for the High Toms, and it was really nice. I mean, I saw some some good players. um You know, the I think the the bar is just lower for summer ball this year because the players are so spread out. But but I saw some some nice arms, and it was just nice to kind of be out at the park and. Everyone was wearing masks and was social distance. And so it was just like a nice stress-free, so few of our experiences in these times have been free of stress. Like just going to the grocery store has become, or what have you, going anywhere in public has become something to kind of stress about because you have to plan it and be conscientious about it. So it was just kind of nice to just be there and have baseball going on and uh, to not have that be a source of anxiety in a way was was really, really nice. So um, that has... Also reminded me that 4th of July is coming up because looking ahead on the schedule, I realized that this coming weekend is, is 4th of July weekend, which I presume in summer ball is kind of a big weekend, but it's going to be a little bit different this year with so many of the, at least in the Coastal Plain League, the teams in the northern part of the league in North Carolina and Virginia are being really conscientious about not having very many people in the stands. So it certainly is not going to be the type of ticket windfall that most summer leagues probably expect for your average 4th of July weekend.
0: Yeah, and you know, places have been canceling their their Fourth of July celebrations. You know, typically here um, in Durham, the Fourth of July. This would be a time where the collegiate national team would be playing in Cary and Durham and maybe in Charlotte. They've done that at times, and this weekend is would have been a, a big weekend. They never announced a schedule for this year, so I don't know if it would have been Cuba here this weekend, or Japan, or, or Korea, or whatever, but obviously none of that's happening. Um, just another reminder of, of what we don't have uh, this summer, but there is some summer ball being played, uh, like Joe mentioned, and we'll, uh, we'll continue to monitor that around the country uh, as, as leagues get going. There are a lot more leagues, I shouldn't say a lot more, there are a few more leagues and a few more pods within these leagues that are scheduled to get going this week, uh, the Florida League, begins uh, this week. The Northwood starts a couple of pods this week. The Texas Collegiate League uh, gets going this week. So there, there are a few more leagues uh, to get going. And I think the Futures League is is around this time as well. I, I cannot offhandedly remember what their, their start date is. But for the most part, if your league's not going this week, it might not be going. This was kind of the, the, the week that a lot of leagues had circled uh, at, as the start of July to you know get the, get summer ball going. but there are leagues uh, already going. There are pods you know, within these leagues that you know I mentioned that the Northwoods has a couple of pods going, well, the Northwoods is going in, in one of its pods already. So summer ball is is happening out there in, in, in scattered places and um, in very different circumstances. but there is there is some college baseball. Uh, being played still, even though a lot of leagues uh, were not able to to play this summer. But that is probably uh, the main thing to watch right now <laughs> in, in terms of college baseball. You know, I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of people around the country, you know, coaching coaches and, and players are uh, still kind of trying to figure out uh, a, a lot of things what, what they're supposed to do with their summers, uh, but. There are, there are some places where, where the baseball uh, is happening. And one of those places, I guess, is always at BaseballAmerica.com, uh, where again, today we released an updated version of our never-too-early top 25. We wound up keeping the top five the same. That's Florida, Texas Tech, uh, UCLA, Ole Miss, and Virginia. They, they were your five when we debuted this ranking in may they remain your five as we as we update it here at the end of june Uh, we moved one new team in that is santa barbara they replace central florida Uh, the gauchos were were kind of on the cusp of the the top 25 to begin with and then made it through the draft unscathed i remain very excited about the the shows for 2021 meanwhile ucf has a few very important pitchers that they have to replace uh, both due to the draft and due to transfers so uh, UCSB comes in, UCF goes out I would encourage you to read the rest of it over at the website there's been some moving and shaking in the top 10 Uh, teams moving up, teams moving down Uh, UCSB moves in and uh, Joe did a good job of rounding up everyone in the top 25, how they, uh, you know, fared in the draft and and that led obviously to, to the bulk of these moves, but some of, there's also been some transfer market movement and and of course the, the non-drafted free agents as well. But like I said at the top, you know, Florida again leads this, this top 25. And so we want to bring on, uh, Kevin O'Sullivan to talk about the Gators who beyond looking loaded, absolutely loaded for twenty twenty one are very interesting team. They have, you know this year they they wound up as the number one team uh, at the end of the season. They started the year with sixteen straight wins. That's a program record uh, finishing just sixteen and one. And you know they're also getting ready to open a new ballpark down in Gainesville next year. So there's a lot going on with the program. Uh, they also were one of the big winners in the draft. So just just a lot to, to discuss uh, with Sully. So we're we're excited to have him on Joe, and uh, you know just kind of you know dig a little more into what Florida is and, and and what to expect from Florida in 2021. We're excited to welcome in Florida coach Kevin O'Sullivan to the Baseball America College Podcast. Coach, we uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today.
2: Of course. Thanks for having me on, Teddy.
0: Absolutely. So it's an exciting time, um, you know, for Florida baseball with, uh, you know, a new ballpark on the way. And, you know, we've just seen the draft results and we can kind of begin to assess the the 2021 uh, roster situation. But, you know, before we get to all of the the upcoming things, I wanted to, you know, take a, a minute just to talk about 2020. Uh, and you guys were off to an incredible start to the season program, best uh, 16 wins to, to open the, the year. And that was coming off of a, a, a season that by Florida standards was down in 2019. What, what do you think allowed this group to click this year and, and to get off to that, uh, that, that incredible start to the season that you guys had?
2: Well, I think it's a combination of things, Kelly. I think, you know, number one, you know, a, a collection of guys have, you know, had gotten better from, from year one to year two. And obviously Tommy Mace had made a jump. Jack Lefwich had made a jump, you know, obviously Ben Speck made a huge jump. Nick Pogue made a huge jump. Christian Scott made a huge jump. Um, you know, we had an infusion of some really good talented young players, Joshua Barrett Short, you know, you know, obviously, you know, Judd Fabian made a jump and Jacob Young made a jump and, Nathan Hickey, who's a freshman, um, who was about to take over, you know, the catching situation, you know, um, at, at least share it with, uh, with Cal Greenfield. And obviously he was hitting the middle of the lineup. And then obviously Hunter Barco or Brandon Sproat. And we just had a collection of, you know, older guys that had made a significant jump um, in their performance from year one to year two. We had some older guys make make a jump you know, from their sophomore to junior year. And then we had some really good talented freshmen come in to kind of complement the roster. So I think there's a lot of things that happened, but, you know, obviously starting the season out the way we did, um, I didn't have those types of expectations, which I never do with any team, but um, it it was a really fun, you know, you know, fun group to coach.
0: So, the season obviously came to a premature end, and then we went through the draft process and everything. And there was, you know, probably a, an expectation from a lot of people, at least myself, uh, that Tommy Mace would would be drafted, uh, and that probably Jack Leftwich would be drafted as well. Neither of them was drafted. They're they're instead opting to return to to Gainesville and. Uh, you know again be ready to lead the rotation in 2021 what uh you know what does it mean to have those two guys back uh you know with the team for another season
2: well it was unexpected you know um I think if the season would have played out uh, maybe the draft would have been a little bit different but certainly them not signing professionally has you know very little to do with their ability it had all to do with their signability and and both of them had stuck to their numbers and and felt like you know they had some unfinished business, um, you know, from an individual standpoint and from a team standpoint. So, um, obviously, you know, w- with with them coming back, you know, frankly, you know, we've put ourselves in a position to where this is you know one of the more talented rosters we've had. We've we've had some really talented ones in the past, but um, but obviously you know, getting them back is a huge, huge plus for us in our program. So we're excited to have them back and, um, you know, hopefully looking forward to a, a successful 21 season. You mentioned his name in, in the answer to the first question, but uh, Judd Fabian's a guy
1: who really made a, a jump for you guys in the last year. And now he's in a position where he projects as a premium pick in the next draft. What uh, What kind of improvements have you seen from him? What has allowed him to make the types of jumps that we've seen him make?
2: Well, he he's really a five-tool athlete. I mean, he can he can throw, he can defend. He's as good as any defender we've had in center field. and We've had some really good ones. Obviously, some great ones. Um, he can hit for average. He can hit for power. He can run. There's really not a weakness to his game. I think the biggest thing for him is probably from the mental standpoint for him to come out of you know high school early and and play just about every day and to go through the ups and downs of an SEC schedule and him to be able to stand on his own two feet and survive that I think speaks volumes of his mental toughness and I think that's probably the biggest thing that he's probably grown the most with um, and learning from the failures because obviously most kids when they come out of high school they don't they don't go through a whole lot of failures and, and and tough times but yeah, I mean, he was he was a champ, and he handled it like you know, like a veteran. And I think he's he's hardened to a point where, you know, he, you know, he understands the ups and downs of the game. And for him to come out the way he did after his freshman year, you know, obviously coming out of high school early is is, is only going to play dividends down the road.
0: Yeah, player development is obviously very important to you. We're talking about all these guys that made jumps uh, between 19 and 20, and now we've never seen a spring and now a summer like we're in now with so many lost games and, and lost practices. What, what did you want your guys doing in the spring once the season was canceled and, and what do you want them doing uh, this summer to, to start preparing for, for the fall and to, to help make them, uh, you know, ha- continue to, to be able to make these developmental uh, improvements?
2: It's a good question. You know, I think early on, there wasn't a whole lot of direction, and I, I kind of felt bad as 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 the head coach not being able to give them direction. But there was so much unknown with COVID that you know I, I didn't know what was going to happen. But um, over the last three months, we've got we've got our our kids from South Florida playing in the South Florida Collegiate League. We've got you know I don't know you know six or seven kids playing for the Scorpions in that you know Florida baseball league. We've got three players that have gone out to Tulsa to play for Tom Holliday. Um, so our players are out playing. And um, there's probably going to be a few more, you know, once they get their arms in shape and their legs back in shape, that they might go play for a few weeks or whatever. But our guys have stayed active. They've been very aggressive as far as wanting to go play. So obviously we're excited to watch these guys. Unfortunately, we got to watch them online. But um, I'm real excited with, you know, with the effort they put in and, the, you know, the aggressiveness that they've had to go out and play.
1: What has that summer ball process been like for you and your coaching staff? Because it seems like on a, going back now a couple of months, it seems like on a week to week basis, everything was changing, whether it was if the Cape isn't going to go and then this league's not going to go and that league's not going to go. And this league's only going to play with half of its teams. That must've been just kind of a challenge for you and your staff to just figure out where, and you guys have a couple of local leagues that helps, I'm sure. But that had to be a little bit of a challenge to try to find the right fits for all your guys who wanted
2: to get out and play. Well, to be honest with you, I, 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 I did not initiate this with the players. This is them coming to me saying they want to go play. And I think what we've tried to do, and we, we are, you know, obviously fortunate because there's, there's a few leagues in Florida. Um, and we had some guys going to the Cape that could play for, you know, you know, Tom holiday out in Tulsa. That was obviously a natural fit for us, but um, it was, it was their initiative that really pushed this thing. It, I never once, and our staff never really pushed, hey, you need to go play here. You need to go play there. It was really a, a group that I think probably started talking, um, you know, as a group when they do these, you know, chat texts and all that stuff. And um, I think they, they, as a group, wanted to go out and play. So we've tried to facilitate that and, and get them maybe places that are closer to home. Um, but obviously, we're real excited that we have a bunch of people, you know, that are out playing. And you know, at least getting back on the field again.
0: You mentioned that this year, next year's roster is shaping up to be one of your most talented and, you know, we're right there on the hype train, I guess, uh, with our never too early top 25, having you as the, the early preseason number one team. You know, what about that, that roster depth or, or, or talent is exciting you the most right now?
2: Well, I, I think the, the, the most exciting thing is is trying to figure out as a staff how we're going to manage, you know, so many good players and, and really build the team concept. Because you know as well as I do, the most talented team is not always the team that wins the last game of the year in any sport. So we've got a challenge ahead of us to to figure out how we can mold all of these really talented players and collectively, you know, strive for the same goal at the end of the year and it's not going to be easy it's going to be challenging but um if we can get off to a good start in the fall and and the fall goes on and continue to build that then I think we've got a chance to be a really special team but um talent alone is not going to you know allow you to win the last game of the year and obviously it's extremely difficult to do um in any sport like I said but you know, I think as a staff, we've talked about it. And we're looking forward to that challenge.
1: One of the other exciting things you have going on on campus, obviously, is that the new ballpark that Teddy alluded to in the, in the introduction. Uh, what is the status of that project? Where are they kind of at now in that process? And then what has that been like for you to, to see this project through from the initial blueprints all the way through to being able to take the field in 2021 in, in the brand new place?
2: Well, to be honest, just to be a part of something like this is, is is obviously, you know, a lifetime achievement. I mean, you don't have this opportunity in many places, you know, in college baseball to be a part of a transition from, you know, a historic ball field at Florida and move into a new one and the amount of money that our administration committed to. I mean, it's been a really special, you know, process to be a part of, um, Actually, I think most of our staff has moved in. I'm going to go in there tomorrow and really start unpacking some of my boxes for the first time. Um, but it's a beautiful ballpark, you know, not to take anything away from the other ballparks, you know, in the country or or in the SEC. But it's, uh, in my opinion, I've been to just about every ballpark. It, it might not be the biggest. But I, I would argue that it's the nicest one in the country. And I think the amenities that our players are going to be afforded and um, – you know, you know the 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 fan experience and everything that it, that you know it's going to lend um, to the experience for everybody. I mean, I, I'm really proud of it, and you know, like I said, looking forward to you know finally getting in there. And I've given tours, you know, at least two to three times a week, um, you know, to obviously various different people, and you know, I get, I keep getting the same response that it's better than what they thought, and I, I, it's hard for me to put adjectives on this, words on it, but. Um, it is a beautiful, beautiful ballpark. It fits. It fits Florida perfectly, and like I said, we're looking forward to getting into it.
0: You guys didn't have a chance to really give in a final send off because of the way the season ended. Uh, but what what are your favorite memories going to be from the old ballpark?
2: Okay, I've been asked that a lot, Teddy. I think um, obviously when we won you know, in 2010 against Miami, had a chance to go to Omaha because obviously Miami had historically, you know, had the best of Florida. And I think just getting that monkey off our back um, was, was kind of a big deal for our program. And obviously Miami's, you know, history in their program is second to none. And they've, you know, but for us to get that, you know, get over that hurdle, so to speak, I think was big for our program and then. You know, obviously Austin Langworthy. You know his home run against Auburn, and you know, what a tough fought series we had. And for him, who's been a four year player for us, um, and to have him, who's a local kid, be put in that situation, and obviously have arguably the the moment of his career, and to be a part of that, I think I, I think is awesome. So, but there's so many moments. I mean, I, I mean, I can go on and on, but. I think those are the two that kind of stick out the most.
0: We've seen this year uh, or this summer, I guess, even the, the so-called new college baseball model uh, that Eric Bakich and, and the group of, of coaches have, uh, you know, kind of presented to, to the world uh, as the idea of pushing the season back. Just what are, what are your thoughts on, on that and, and uh, you know, the idea of, of moving all of the college baseball season back by a month?
2: Well, I, I know Eric's put a lot of work into this, and I know Randy Macy at West Virginia had put a lot of work into it as well. You know, I, you know I've looked at it. Um, you know, I've got mixed emotions on it. Uh, I'm not against it. I'm not totally for it. I'm kind of caught in the middle. I think it's like anything else. I mean, maybe, maybe a two-week-later start might bode well for everybody around the country. Um, I don't know if a month is what we need to do, but at the end of the day, the University of Florida is not going to be affected one way or the other, whether we start in the middle of February, whether we start two weeks later or a month later. I, I guess, the, you know, there's a lot of questions I still have as far as what is the real significant um, increase in revenue and, 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 and fan support. I, I think that's where I kind of, you know, I still have some questions about it but I do appreciate Eric and Randy's effort and trying to make positive movement in you know, in our game, but I don't know, like I said, it's hard for me to answer your question specifically. I'm, I don't know if it's a, if it's a four week change or two week change, do we meet in the middle? You know, I don't know. I don't know, but it's certainly an interesting topic to talk about. You alluded to
1: it there a little bit, but how important is it just for college baseball to kind of come together on something like this, whether it works for, your program or any program individually, how important is it just as a group to kind of come together and start to have real conversations about how this sport can move forward and start to advance in some of the ways that so many of us wanted to advance, whether it's another coach or scholarships or, or whatever it is. And if nothing else, it seems like this discussion is an avenue for walking college baseball down that path. I'm curious if you feel the same way.
2: Well, I think there's a lot of, I mean, this is an important topic, but I also think the scholarship issue is an important topic. Um, the 25%, you know, is an important topic. Um, you know, we're the only sport that's equivalency and a, you know, headcount sport. Um, we've got quite a few issues. And I think until we quite honest with you, I think, you know, until we can all get together and make decisions that are best for our sport rather than what's best for our program, we're going to continue to struggle and make changes. And, you know, um, obviously every you know every program's got their strengths and weaknesses. Um, obviously, we're we're in a situation here at Florida and a lot of schools in the SEC. We have a lot of advantages, but at the end of the day, if we could we could look at things in a way that what's going to better our sport rather than what's going to better our own specific program, I think we're we're going to you know obviously continue you know continue to struggle to get on the same page.
0: I've asked a lot of coaches, you know, during this spring and, and into the summer, kind of what they're doing to occupy their time. Since you can't coach, you can't recruit, and uh, you certainly have a lot of open time, I imagine. Except that you have two young children, uh, who I'm sure are taking a, a fair amount of your 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 time these days. Just what what has it been like to uh, you know be able to to spend the time with them that, that you've had this spring? That's unusual. And and what has been your favorite? uh, ways to, to pass time with, uh, with your children?
2: Well, it's, it's another good question to tell you. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm like every other parent, you know, obviously, um, you know, trying to figure out the whole homeschooling part, um, was obviously challenging in the beginning. Um, but I think the normal, you know, things that you take, you know, you know, take for granted, you know, the laundry, the dishwasher, you know, you know, cleaning the house, you know, getting the kids ready, you know, to have play dates and, you know, those types of things. I think there's a lot of things that go into it that you kind of miss, you know, obviously some focus on because you're so locked into, you know, other things that are going on with your job or whatever it might be. But um, I think moving forward, I think we're just kind of waiting to see what the fall is going to look like, not only at Florida um, for student athletes, but what what it's going to look like for, you know, my two kids with, you know, with, uh, with school. I mean, they go to school full time and, you know, if that's the case, um, you know, how does childcare look, you know, and, you know, all these types of things. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of questions that need to be answered, but, um, I have really enjoyed being a dad. Um, I always have obviously, but I think this time, um, that I've had with them has certainly opened my eyes up to a lot of different things. And, and I've tried to embrace this whole thing, which is, you know, obviously hard for everybody, you know, we're trying to understand what the future is going to look like, but to be honest with you, um, having this time with them, you know, this may be the only time, you know, that us as parents can be able to have this time. So, um, but obviously we're looking forward to having some sort of normalcy in the fall and getting back to a routine. But, you know, from my standpoint, it's been really enjoyable.
0: Yeah, I imagine that they're both going a little stir crazy as well. I I know they're both they're both pretty active from uh, from what I (laughs) what I can tell seeing them at at
2: the ballpark. Yeah, the apple does not fall too far from the tree. That's for sure.
0: (laughs) Well, hopefully everyone's able to, like you said, find a little bit of normalcy here uh, in in the summer and into the fall, and we can get back to uh, to to the way things are we're a little more accustomed to, and we can see the Gators uh, on the field next spring. Because I'm uh, I'm very excited to see what what Florida looks like in 2021. And I know you are as well.
2: Yeah, we are. And we're just looking forward to hopefully, you know, you know, see what football looks, you know, looks like in the fall. And, you know, obviously um, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered still, but um, we'll get back to normal, you know, at some point, is hopefully sooner than later, but I appreciate you having me on Teddy.
0: Thank you again to Florida coach Kevin O'Sullivan for joining us today on the baseball America college podcast. Joe, it's uh you know, like I said, a, there's a lot going on with Florida. We touched on a lot of it there with Sully. Um, the 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 team in 2021 is stacked, and I, I think that's where my mind goes first with them. Uh, you know, the the ballpark is an interesting piece. Uh, what happened in 2020 is important because it feeds into why they're number one now. You he talked about the development of you know, guys like Fabian and Mace and Leftwich and SPECT and, and on and on. Um, and those guys taking a jump from 19 to 20, you know, helps them in, in 2021. But when we look at that roster in 2021, I mean, with Mace and Leftwich back and Hunter Barco, the whole rotation's back. Um, you know, SPECT and Pogue were part of, and David Lucci, Tyler Nesbitt, Brandon Sprott. I could keep going. Like the bullpen was loaded and, you know, it's going to get more loaded because they have a ton of talent coming in. They're going to have another top five recruiting class. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the offense was primarily, you know, freshmen and sophomores. So it was a pretty young group offensively. Judd Fabian's at the center of that. He's a probable top 10 pick uh, next year. And, you you know, I mean, Brady Smith signed as a free agent, but Brady Smith wasn't a full-time starter this year. Uh, he had been in the past, but it kind of been, you know, got beat. And then, you know, Kirby McMullen is a was a senior. He's already announced he's returning. Uh, still a little unsure about Laneworthy. I think he's probably returning at this point. Uh, but it's uh you know, top to bottom pitching lineup. They, they've got an incredible team coming back and a lot of talent coming in to, you know, further strengthen and, and deepen that talent pool.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's, um, you know, I'm actually a little bit surprised and not that Florida hasn't had a little bit more attrition this off season just because of that, you know, that seems kind of like a natural consequence of this, whether that's, and, and look, I mean, look, before I say anything else, I'm certainly not the type to ever really uh, second guess a kid's decision on what he wants to do with his future, because that's a personal decision between he and, and his family. And, you know, he discusses it with the coaching staff and all that stuff. So like that, this, none of this is a criticism of any individual decision that's been made because that's a very personal decision. And I, have I, have I, for one, have never been a fan of, you know, telling kids what they should or shouldn't do, whether it's the draft or returning to school or the, the way they approach their recruiting, whatever it is. Anyway, I was a little bit surprised they didn't have a little bit more of of that attrition, whether it's some of those seniors signing kind of right away or more guys in the transfer portal who are maybe more fringy guys, especially on on a loaded pitching staff, you know, transferring out. So I'm surprised from that standpoint, but then also not surprised because, I mean, I don't know, this looks like it's going to be a pretty fun group to be a part of in 2021, and that's got to be a really exciting thing for these guys who ultimately, yes, they they went to to Florida in order to – to set themselves up to play pro baseball and Florida obviously gives you as good a chance to do that as, as just about anywhere, but they also went there to go to Omaha and to win a bunch of games. And certainly this team looks like it's going to be poised to do that in 2021. So um, a team without kind of any obvious, you know, super obvious flaws, every team can be nitpicked. I mean, that's just the way that the way that it works, but it's a team that really goes in into the season strong in, in all areas. And I think, this is kind of obvious because they ascended to number one in, in 2020 and were, were so clearly the number one team when the season ended. but I think they really gained a lot by actually playing as much as they did in 2021 because just going back to the conversation you and I had in the preseason about Florida and you were you were more bullish on them than I was and you ended up being being right for that. but there were there were just there were questions about Florida but we saw in 2020 those jumps that you allude to, that made it clear though, this is the best team in the country, at least as it, as it stood right at that, at that moment in another scenario where they kind of um, it just could have gone very differently in 2020. And we'd, we'd be going into 2021 in a very different, from a very different standpoint, floor. they'd still be ranked highly. They we'd still think highly of them, but it'd be different than what it is right now, which is, wow, this team is the clear cut favorite to win the national title going into the 2020 season. They did, they did a whole lot with a very, ultimately, a very short amount of time in the 2020 season to show the team they were and the team they should be going into next season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the development of those players is, is hugely significant. Um, you know, and, and you saw it pay off in, in 2020. Obviously, we didn't get to see it pay off in the, the biggest possible way, but they were absolutely electric from the start. And you know, yes, some of that is the freshman that came in. You know, I don't want to dismiss what having Hunter Barco and Josh Rivera and uh, you know the the rest, Nathan Hickey, what what that meant to you know the the team as a whole. But you know, seeing the development of Mason Leftwich and and Fabian especially, and and McMullen, uh, who had come to Florida as a two way player but had primarily been a pitcher and all of a sudden as your starting third baseman and uh you know just all of what all of that meant i mean that that's that's been big uh you know for for them in twenty and and it sets them up for what could be a very special twenty twenty one i mean I'm incredibly bullish on on what this Florida team can accomplish and and to hear. Kevin O'Sullivan talk about this being one of the most talented Florida teams that he's had. I mean, just go look at what the last decade has had talent-wise at Florida. Like there are some incredible incredible teams that that he's had there and it, you know there's no reason why this one can't be that good. You know, I you, you might not have an AJ Puck in this rotation. You know, by by that I mean you might not have a guy who, you know, ends up being the sixth overall pick, but at the same time you might, you know, because Hunter Barco could be that guy. It, it might not be Mace, it might not be Leftwich. Although I don't want to put it past them, but like, it, you know, just because Barco is a year behind and we're not going to be thinking about his draft status until twenty twenty two, and in a lot of sense, like, you know, that he's he's going to be a premium pick. Mace is probably you know, going to be expecting to be a first round pick next year. I think that's why he's back because he thinks that with another year he could, you know, go and be a first round pick this year. He was ranked, I believe it was 75th, maybe 76th on the BA 500. So he's, you know, he's I'm sure thinking about like, can I be a first round pick in a year I'm Gonna if I bet on myself here? And so there's a, there's a lot to like about the pitching staff. Uh, there's a lot to like about the lineup. Uh, they defend really well. I mean, it's a Florida team and and what you saw from this specific Florida team, uh, to, to start 2020 was, was special. And I wish we could have seen it play out over a full season, but I'm very, very excited to see what it looks like throughout uh, a full season in 21.
1: And their fans are quite excited to be watching it in the shade. Um, the that is that is the big
0: part in the new stadium that, that for, <laughs> for for fans. I mean, there are a lot of exciting things about that new stadium, but yeah, the uh, the shade element at McKeithen, or the lack thereof was kind of lawn derided and like why can they not figure out how to get some shade in that ballpark? Well, they've got they've got some shade in the new stadium, like like you said, Joe.
1: Yeah, one of my earliest uh, memories of watching well, I shouldn't say earliest, but one of the things that I remember from early on. I don't remember the exact chronology of it, but I used to... One of the college baseball things that used to come out on my radar is that on the weekends, Fox Sports affiliates, especially if there was no... So growing up in Houston, if there was no Astros game on the local Fox Sports affiliate on a Saturday in the afternoon and the game was in the evening instead, a lot of times Saturday afternoons, they'd throw on some local college baseball broadcast on the Fox Sports Network. Sometimes it was a, a, a Big 12 game. Sometimes it was um, a game from in Florida on, I think at that time they called it sun sports, but long story short, I remember a game from McKeithen that I, that I watched back in, it was probably, I think it was pre-Sully honestly. Um, and then they, they would pan out and like, you'd look and you'd be like, oh my goodness, there is like, that sun is beating down on those people. And it just, it's one of those places that just looked hot. Like, you know, it's hot because it's central Florida and um in, in in the you know april may and june but it beyond that like you could you could tell me that was anywhere and i'd go man it just looks hot there and so uh certainly that would be an upgrade from a fan enjoyment standpoint but i'm looking forward to, to seeing this stadium with uh you know whether with my own eyes in person or just on television to kind of get a sense for you know where it kind of slots in with some of these other sec palaces that we've seen open in, in recent years and um some of the ones that are brand new like like the dude and then some are that that have just kind of stood the test of time uh like bomb at at arkansas for example uh and and kind of get a feel for where that fits and some of that is in the eye of the beholder of course but uh just the the level that the sec ballparks have risen to now is is obviously on a whole nother level and uh, florida upgrading from mckeethan which was a serviceable ballpark in, in in every sense of the term but uh certainly this will be an upgrade for them and and should should I would imagine uh, put them right up there in the talk among the best in the country or well I was going to say conference but in by virtue of being that you are also one of the best in the country.
0: Yes, that is definitely true and I'm looking at some pictures that our friend Nick De La Torre, uh, who covers the Gators for Gator Country, took this weekend uh, at the new ballpark and uh, it looks amazing. Uh, like Sully said, it's not the Biggest, uh, you know, the, the seating capacity at the Mississippi ballparks and at bomb and at the Box is is all going to be bigger. I would expect also at A and M, maybe South Carolina. I'm not I'm not sure where exactly they landed on a seating capacity at Florida. I know at one point they were talking about ten thousand. Uh, there are, from my estimation, not ten thousand chairbacks uh, in these pictures, but I don't know what they're if that original number included berm counts and the like. Um, it, has, it has spacious berms, which I know is one of the complaints uh, in Starkville is that they took away too much of that seating. Uh, but it looks, it looks great. Uh, I'm excited to see it. Uh, I'm excited to, to get down to see it. I uh, have mentioned several times here on the podcast that I'm very disappointed that I wasn't able to see Florida play Georgia this year. Uh, I was in Gainesville for that. I was in Gainesville for Mace versus versus Hancock, uh, and and Leftwich versus Wilcox, did not did not quite get that. Uh, ended season ended just just a little too early for for that to be played. But the new ballpark uh, looks fantastic. I will say that I'm really going to miss um, when I am in Gainesville or or when you're you know watching the 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 game on tv that you know you're not going to be able to look past the outfield and see the o-dome and know that you know the swamp is right across the street the fact that those three stadiums were all just right there in the heart of uh the the florida campus i thought was really cool Uh, it made for a really cool you know experience from from my perspective but you know they uh to, to move into this new stadium, they're they're moving to a, a different part of campus that is still going to, like there are other sports facilities out there, just not the O-Dome. So, you know, no one will will be hitting a home run to the O-Dome anymore as a few people uh, definitely took aim at it. You know, JJ Schwartz definitely took aim at that, at the O-Dome beyond left field a, a few times. And, and I know he's not alone uh, in, in sending some shots that, that probably made it pretty close, or 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 actually did make it out to to the basketball arena.
1: It's definitely something that I the how a stadium fits into the campus community is certainly something that I would not have anticipated when I got into this profession and started pursuing it. That would be a part of the like a part of the enjoyment of it. You kind of think of the facilities themselves, and and for your job in mind, the, the how. the media setup is and all things like that are stuff that I anticipated I did not anticipate how much I enjoy stadium having a lot to do with how it fits into the campus community but that is absolutely the case and um, you know the the ones that are now that does not mean that everything is rosy when that happens though because that if if it was really nestled into campus that also means good luck finding a place to park unless they are you are specifically there's a garage or something right there that's slotted for baseball. There are a lot of campuses where you're kind of left to your own devices there. So that can make it a little more complicated. But in terms of aesthetics, it always is kind of nice um, when when a ballpark really fits into, whether it's architecturally or whether it's just in terms of it seems to make sense where it is on campus. And even to the extremes, like I'm, I'm kind of a fan of what Vanderbilt has going on, where you know literally the left field wall is kind of shaped like it is because it's moving around the basketball arena. It's kind of a, a neat little quirk there. At Vanderbilt. And there are other examples of, of stadiums in the shadow of the football the football field or, you know, right up against the basketball arena, things like that. So not alone in, in that regard, but it's just certainly not something I thought was going to be part of how much I enjoyed a college baseball game and, and being in those college towns. But uh, with, with several years now under my belt, I realized that is absolutely the case.
0: Sometimes it actually helps with the parking situation because Auburn is another one of these where Plainsman Park is literally in the shadow of Jordan Hare and whatever they call their basketball stadium uh, or arena, I suppose, uh, is across the street. And because of that, there is ample parking for baseball. There's a, there's a parking deck right there, and then the, the whole basketball lot is open for, for baseball. So it's very easy to, to, to park in Auburn. But Vanderbilt, dead opposite. Good luck. Find, you know, there is a deck, uh, but aside from the deck, you know, it's uh, parking at Vanderbilt is is much trickier. So it goes, you, you win some, you'll lose some in terms of the uh, the dead center of or, or right in the middle of campus uh, with with the, some of these stadiums. Just uh,
1: quickly on this, and then we then we can move on. What do you? do you call them like before you started interacting with them as much as you do having to be around college campuses, did you call them parking decks?
0: No, they're parking garages.
1: Yeah. See, so did I, like I grew up calling them parking garages, but you hear parking decks. And then I've also heard ramps, parking ramp.
0: Uh, and I, 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 I'm i not, I'm not here for the ramp now.
1: Yeah. Like I don't want to necessarily, um, implicate anything, anyone in or any program in particular, but I, I was at, um, because I don't even know if I have this remembered right, but I think I was going to that tournament at um, oh, a U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, and the parking there is a little bit complicated because it's a football stadium, and so not all of the parking facilities are open, and it's in a busy part of town, so you kind of have to know where you're looking. You know, you can't just kind of circle the block a couple times very quickly to figure out where you need to go. You kind of need to know, and in email correspondence, uh, you know, I they, I think they, they called them the parking ramps. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Like I and, and I figured it out once I Googled and stuff, but I believe it was at Minnesota, they called them parking ramps. And so I don't know if it's a, a regional thing or just kind of a personal preference thing, but I'd never heard anything but parking garage until really, I think probably several years ago when I first started having to think about these types of things every weekend on the, on the road at baseball games. So it's interesting that, that uh, you call them garage as well. Cause I thought maybe it was just a, Kind of a regional
0: thing. No, I mean it may be, but uh, and I also don't know the like where the decks are coming from, particularly. Um, but yeah, I, I would normally call them parking garages, but for some reason, when I'm talking about like on-campus things, they, they become decks. Hmm. You know, so all know. of that is to say, uh, Florida loaded in 2021 <laughs> in in a new ballpark. Um, you know, Joe why don't we transition a little more into the top 25. And I, I think that what we saw coming out of the draft, you know, when we declared Florida huge winners from the night was that they were, they were just more locked in at number one. So not moving anything at the top of the ranking was, was not a surprise, but you know, in, within the top 10, Oklahoma fell. Uh, we, we flipped around Vanderbilt and Louisville. Uh, Arkansas moved into the top ten to replace Oklahoma. Uh, you know, any of that movement strike you as as being you know, particularly interesting? I know you were high on Oklahoma, especially, and then all their entire rotation got drafted, and um, you know we we felt like we needed to uh, to drop the Sooners a little bit, uh, but. You know, the, the the top ten I thought was a little more status quo than, than i had anticipated it being uh, when we decided to when we decided to do a, an initial ranking in early May and then know that we were going to come back after the draft had played out I thought there was going to be more movement within the top ten
1: yeah I, I agree actually I I, I kind of thought there would be a little bit more movement and, and one thing I was kind of struck by is so much of who we were talking about as as winners and losers after the draft had a lot to do with what you did with your recruiting class and that was an interesting part of the discussion for me because that's a just a really interesting philosophical debate about how much do you factor that in because ultimately we don't know how good these guys will be and that that's the game right i mean you have to do that every offseason when we rank top 25 teams but it's you know most of the time we are really relying on what do we know about this team? Who was good last year? Who's back from last year? What did they do last year? And then you kind of sprinkle in the recruiting stuff here and there. I think with this, we we did that again, but I think in my head, you know, we had, we had talked so much about teams holding classes together and the anticipation that, Hey, these teams are going to get a lot of their recruits to campus. They wouldn't in a normal year have gotten to campus. And I think that kind of put me in a, in, in, a, in a mode where that type of thing was going to matter a lot more when you and I went back onto these rankings. But then, of course, the obvious tab, or pushback on that is, well, everyone is going to be more talented because they were all playing by the five-round draft. So there was that. But also just when you get right down to it, we, we just don't know with recruiting classes and there are a lot of really talented recruits that again because of the five-round draft probably aren't going to get to play as much as they were going to get to play so how much does it matter just for example and I'm not I don't mean this as a specific example but Florida's got a whole bunch of really talented players coming to campus but it's going to be hard to imagine more than a couple of them really breaking out in a big way and so how much more does it matter to a Florida or I don't know pick your team in the top five of this that they added a handful more top-rated recruits to already loaded teams. So then there's, I guess, on the flip side of that is, of course, like teams like Georgia Tech uh, that we feel really good about. And part of that is because, well, they did lose some guys and they weren't as talented to begin with as a Florida, if you will. So they're them getting a handful of of really, really talented recruits to campus matters incrementally more than it would at, at Florida. So I say all that to say... I came into this thinking that that kind of thing would matter more. But then when you and I really got to talking about it, I think what we both settled on is just, yes, UCLA, for example, I think is a good one. They got hit pretty hard in the draft, maybe dependent on who you ask more than you would have anticipated. They still bring a lot of talent to campus, but that really kind of gutted that recruiting class. And yet we held them in the same spot because ultimately the main reasons we like UCLA are still intact with the pitching they have coming back, plus a guy like Matt McLean, one of the more dynamic players in college baseball. And the recruiting is kind of just either the cherry on top or is, you know, just a little bit something you're left missing there, but ultimately is not going to necessarily drive where we rank these teams. And so I think that's also a part of why you didn't see a lot of movement in the top 10 is we had these teams ranked in the top 10 in a lot of cases because we knew what they were probably going to lose in the draft – And we were comfortable with what they were going to lose in the draft and what they brought back. And that really, in a lot of cases, with the exception of Oklahoma, um, that really didn't change a ton. And even in Oklahoma's case, we expected, we actually expected them to lose all three members of the rotation, but there was just something about it actually happening. that was kind of jarring. Plus they did have a couple of guys uh, sign after the draft. So there was a little bit extra attrition there. Um, but I think we were just so comfortable with what everybody in the top 10, with the exception of Oklahoma, already brought to the table that it, it made it to where there just wasn't a ton of movement there.
0: Yeah, I think the the note about recruiting is, you know, Florida probably doesn't – I mean, it's not that they don't need their recruiting class. Uh, I mean, I guess in some respects they don't. I guess <laughs> like it's certainly going to be a huge benefit to them that they're bringing in another top five class for something like the eighth straight year. But you look at Miami and Miami needs its recruiting class. Miami's going to have a top five class as well. And they're going to, to play those kids a lot right away. I would think because, you know, that's another team that lost its entire rotation. Uh, so they, they need replacements there. And, you know, so some of these teams, you know, their their recruiting class being hit hard means something else, you know, just because you can bring a lot of players back or, or everyone's going to be older. Like some of these teams like really need their recruiting class to step in. And, and even uh, a program like Vanderbilt, which didn't lose much in the way of offense with the exception of, Austin Martin, who I don't want to downplay at all. I mean, that's the most dynamic player in the country. Uh, but, you know, the bulk of what Vanderbilt lost to the draft was on the map. And I guess, you know, they also lost Harrison Ray and Ty Duvall as, as non-drafted free agents. But I, I just see their lineup being, even if it was a little more, like even if they hadn't lost three members of it, I, I still would see it as, a little more open partially because of the way tim corbin typically attacks things and he mixes and matches for a while before he finds something and you know lineups at vanderbilt in february don't necessarily reflect lineup their lineup in in april and then you add a whole bunch more talent to it and like they're just going to churn again i would think um yeah so I'm, i'm very interested to see what what that looks like whereas florida you know can basically run the entire same lineup back out next year if they want to. And if it's, if it's meriting. So I, I'm very interested to see how, you know, teams like that operate in terms of incorporating their freshmen and you heard Kevin O'Sullivan talk about, you know, the difficult nature that that's going to be. And he's always been very good about playing freshmen and no, you know, trusting that the freshmen are ready and that by May, that decision is going to pay off that you may take some lumps in April or you know in in February and March but by the time May and June come around those freshmen are going to be ready to play on the biggest stage and and he's had a ton of success doing that Um, so but I'm interested to see how teams like that incorporate freshmen and how teams that are a little bit younger uh, you know because the college baseball as a whole is going to be older next year so if you have to be a little bit younger. What is that going to end up looking like, and is that a significant disadvantage, or, or, you know, does it wind up not mattering that much? So, I, I'm interested to see how how all those things shake out. And you know, the other change in the top ten that we made was Louisville moved up a spot. And you know, I think that I've been bullish on Louisville uh, from the start, but then seeing them get uh, Luke Smith back. Yes, they lost Detmers and Bobby Miller, and those are two big pieces out of the rotation. But getting Luke Smith back, even if he doesn't move to Friday, even if he still is just the a, a, a Sunday starter and, and Jack Perkins and, and Michael Prosecchi slot in ahead of him, whatever it may be, having that guy with his experience, him pitching very important games for Louisville over the last two years, including pitching in Omaha, you know, that just feels like a, it, it's a very significant Thing, uh, for Louisville, as well as getting back you know, their closer in uh, Kyrian, th- those two things, having that experience in, in significant roles on the pitching staff to go with what should be a very, very talented lineup has me even more excited about what the Cardinals can be in 2021 than I was when I thought that at least one, if not both of them, would be uh, heading into Pro Bowl.
1: Yeah, and the argument for, you know, them end up moving ahead of Vanderbilt there is there's a little bit of the push from from Louisville, and there's a little bit of a pull on Vanderbilt where, you know, we we knew that they were going to be without Austin Martin. But that was an offense that was really struggling to find its footing. I saw it with my own eyes that last weekend of the season before things got shut down. It was just an offense that was sputtering, and then you take Austin Martin out of it, which, yes, was expected, but then on top of it, you know, you do lose – guys to free agent signings and I'm thinking of a guy like Harrison Ray who might not be the big bold you know headline name in any Vanderbilt lineup but he was a guy who really could turn in a good at bat he was a guy who when things were really going poorly for that offense you could kind of turn to for the type of veteran leadership that you need the guy who can really kind of turn things around with some of the little things that he does and sometimes that stuff gets overplayed but I think when you're looking at a team that was A lineup that was still trying to figure things out. Guys like that are important. And so now you're going into a season where you have the expected level of turnover plus a little bit extra for a group that already was on shaky ground. And do I think Vanderbilt's offense will be fine by the time we look up in April of 2021? I'd bet so. But maybe it means that there's a little bit more growing pain at the beginning of 2021 from from a lineup standpoint than there otherwise would be. And I think when you're talking the difference in one spot in the rankings, seven versus eight, I think those are the little types of things that maybe end up mattering a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I would definitely agree in that. And, you know, Vanderbilt's still eight. I still think they're going to Omaha. And I still think they're going to be incredibly difficult in the NCAA tournament because they'll still have Kumar Rocker and Jack Lighter. But I think during the course of the regular season, um, You know, just the the depth that Louisville, the added depth that Louisville has, the added experience they have in a couple of those guys coming back and uh, the lineup strength. I think all of that plays a little more in the regular season. And then, you know, we'll see how it shakes out in the postseason. But if you have to go to Nashville for a regional or super regional, or if they have to go on the road for one of those two things, which I wouldn't expect either, but, and you see Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter as uh, their one-two. You know, I that that's not a, a comfortable situation to be in. And we'll see how they manage the rest of their pitching staff. we will have plenty of options, uh, as always. But just those two guys at the front of the rotation are, are going to make the, the Commodores uh, very difficult to beat, I would think, in, in 2021. I, I Just moving them behind Louisville, I, I don't think is any sort of real indication that, that we're moving off of Vanderbilt in any way. It's just uh, there There was a little more lost in the draft uh, than anticipated and, and a little more that Louisville held on to than anticipated. And they were close to begin with, and, and so we flipped them uh, here. And we'll, we'll see uh, – hopefully we'll get to see them play uh, again ne- next year. Obviously, they always play the battle of the barrel. Maybe we'll see a, a rematch in Omaha like we did. In 2019 as well, um, yeah. You know, so that was uh, that's the top 25. Again, you can check out the the full thing over on the website. Uh, we will probably be revisiting it again in, in the off season at a time to be figured out later uh, as we figure out what fall ball looks like and the like. Uh, but we'll certainly have a, a regular preseason top 25, even if we end up not revisiting our. Our early top 25 again in the offseason, again, that plans on that still developing. So, we're uh, on the Baseball America College podcast. Joe and I are cutting back to once a week now. Uh, we had been going twice a week during the season, and season as, as defined by what was supposed to be the season uh, with our, our classic games that we're rewatching. We brought that series to a close and we are coming back to you once a week on, on the college podcast at least for now uh, joe and i are still kind of evaluating uh what the podcast will look like the rest of the off season but we are committed to coming to you at least once a week uh until we get baseball back and uh if, if the opportunity for a second podcast uh in a week warrants will uh we'll certainly avail ourselves of it but for now you should only expect once a week from from us and you know, I, we're still going to be publishing this one at the start of the week, and I would still encourage you to subscribe to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're getting your podcasts, uh, you can find us there. And if you subscribe, rate, review, we appreciate you, you doing all of those things. But Joe, it's, uh it. If uh, if anybody has ideas for, for a second podcast, I believe we are still open to the idea.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I think the idea is that the the idea behind kind of brainstorming ideas is that at some point we would like to go back to a, a second podcast. It's kind of a a series, if you will, of podcasts as opposed to just one-offs week after week after week. Um, that's still the idea. So yeah, I mean, I, I I would love to hear what other people would like to hear. Um, not just because we're we're leaning on you for idea Oh, There's, you know, part of that, but also just because, um, you know, I I think we're in agreement that we're trying to find the best way to serve the listeners who have, you know, kind of stuck with us through uh, just tough content times, not to mention tough times in a lot of other ways in in our world, but just in terms of, Hey, college baseball was gone. And we tried to keep at it for you guys. And and so certainly we want to keep that relationship going and want you to, um, to be a part of that. So, so yeah, ideas are certainly welcome through all the regular channels that uh, you know, that we, we rattle off here, Twitter or our emails are findable. Um, I think we'd, we'd really love to hear ideas that you guys have that, that, that more than just one-off ideas. We're talking stuff that would, that would you know last a few weeks that we could really dive in on and examine. That's the kind of stuff we're looking for.
0: Absolutely. So you can send those to us on Twitter. Uh, I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe BA, and if you follow us, uh, you get all the latest college baseball news, and sometimes uh, we talk about tacos. Uh, that's that's my pitch for you to follow us on Twitter. I guess mostly college baseball, sometimes tacos. Right. All right. So we will bring this podcast uh, home for a close. Now we really appreciate you guys uh, listening. We uh, again, we'll be back here next week, not later this week, but next week with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast with uh, probably another guest, hopefully another guest as good as Kevin O'Sullivan from the college baseball world. And we'll, uh, we'll continue rolling with uh, with these throughout the summer as uh, there's still plenty going on uh, within college baseball to talk about. So I wanna thank you guys for listening. I wanna thank you everyone for subscribing, especially as well. Thank you to Florida coach Kevin O'Sullivan for joining us today. Uh, For Joe, uh, as always, I'm Teddy Cahill. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America College podcast.